Thanks for listening to this edition of the Lanco Worship Link Training. Each month, we get together to inspire, connect, and equip local worship teams. Find out when the next event is at lancoworshiplink.blogspot.com. Here's this month's training. When you're out there and you're trying to figure stuff out, and week in, week out, and fix problems and troubleshoot, and it's tough because there's you know eight million ways of doing things, and you have this big of a budget, and you want to do the whole thing. And these guys have been, from many of the churches that I've partnered with, have just been super great resources, really good hearts, really knowledgeable and talented at what they do. It's like having a good mechanic, you know? I mean, there's nothing quite like, I don't know what's wrong with my car, can you fix that? You know, and the trust that they're not going to rip you off? That's these guys with the, with the tech stuff, because they just, they know what they're doing, and their heart is for people just like us. And so I love them. Hi, I'm Dan Keeney. Currently, I'm production manager with uh, Joyce Meyer Ministries. I've been with her for about 10 years, and prior to that, I was with Billy Graham uh, as tech director um, when they were still out in Minneapolis. So uh, most of my work has been on the road. Um, I grew up in uh, the Shrewsbury area, Southern York County. Uh, Was out of state for about 15 years and then moved back here about 10 years ago. Uh, My home uh, church where I fellowship is LCBC. And when I'm home, I'm on the road about half of the year. So really don't have a lot of time to get plugged into the, uh, the local scene here. So I, I really do count on the privilege uh, having hooked up with Dave, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. And uh, uh, my heart just goes out to the sound guy. I'm just like you, uh, volunteer at church, run sound um, maybe every five or six weeks. I'm kind of the guy, if somebody's sick, they'll call and see if I'm home and, and I'll fill in. So I, I know where you're coming from. Um, I got started in all this way back in the 70s on the other side of the microphone playing in rock bands and happened to be the guy that had a job, so I bought the PA, so I got to learn, <laughs> learn how that worked. <laughs> bought the PA and the pizza. Um, and at, at one point, um, when I had my, my tent-making job, as it, as it were, uh, and doing sound after 5 o'clock every day, uh, I decided that uh, I really wanted to, to serve God you know, in, in this way, and it, it turned out that it was a lot easier uh, on the tech side of the microphone than on the music side. <laughs> so uh, that's how I got into it, in short. Um, I just wanted to start with a, a couple of um, kind of high, high points that it seems like all of us at one point or another have struggled with when it comes to doing church audio. Um, like Dave said, we want to leave lots of time for questions. I did have a chance to look at the, the survey, and it looked like there were a lot of very specific things you wanted to cover. But um, just to cover a, a couple of things that, like I said, you've probably all experienced at some point, and some uh, just real simple solutions to those uh, as I go in and talk to people. Probably one of the the, the biggest and first problems that church audio guys have is that you're into you're forced into a building that was not designed for amplified music. Um, a lot of these church fellowships have been around for a long time back when the tradition was piano, choir, organ, and and the pastor would speak, and and that was pretty much it. And as contemporary worship has evolved, uh, there's been a movement within the church to want to go ahead and embrace that and move forward in that, but unfortunately buying black boxes and putting in electronics 
doesn't solve one of the fundamental problems which are dictated by God's laws of physics. And some, uh, some church board members, when we've discussed with this, will, when they pull their arms and say no, I say, well, if you want to pray real hard and ask God to change those laws, then maybe we can, <laughs> we can fix it that way. <laughs> but so far, the Lord's chosen not to do that. So some of those things are is that you're, you're in a room that has very reverberant surfaces, meaning you know, drywall, plaster, uh, a very high ceiling, uh, all these things that would make choral music or orchestral music sound marvelous, but you have you know two seconds of reverb after every sound that happens or every time somebody hits a snare drum and the elders are like, nah, we can't deal with that. So what I would suggest is if, if, you're, if you're having those problems, you need to put some of your budget money uh, first and foremost towards taming your room down either putting up sound baffles, uh, bass traps, um, making sure you've done everything you can that when you go like that, you don't hear that clap a, a bunch more times uh, whenever possible. It's, it's a lot sexier to go and buy the newest black box, digital whatever, you know, because you read about it in the trade magazine, but it's not going it's, it's to fix that problem. So... Number one on my list is acoustics. Get the room tamed down as much as possible. Number two, and this just sounds so simplistic, but I've seen enough installs. Um, if you can just picture your speakers, instead of being audio, it's a floodlight. And your job is to make sure that that light's hitting all the people on the pews, but not bouncing off the walls. Take that same thing in your mind when you're aiming your speakers, when you're doing your your design, make sure the speakers are pointed at the people and not straight ahead because it was easy to mount that way and bouncing off the back wall. Or if if you have a speaker that maybe is a, uh, a, a 60 by 40 dispersion you know, on the horn, uh, if it's straight ahead and you look at that dispersion, you've got a lot of sound energy bouncing off that wall, okay? There's fancy terms for face smear, for instance, why it doesn't sound good, but it's basically all about sound arrival times. You want to get as much sound as you can, hitting as many people as you can, all at the same time. Because what happens, you've all heard digital delays when you go echo, 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 echo. Well, if you shorten that delay time way down to what happens is you have direct sound here, and you have sound bouncing off of a wall and then coming down, there's a difference between those arrival times. It may be milliseconds, but what happens is it makes everything just sound smeary and phasey. And people will say, well, it's not clear. Or they'll sometimes say, it's too loud. What they're really saying is, is that it's not articulate. You know, it just, it just sounds mushy. So number two on my list of things to just look at is make sure your speakers are pointed at the people and not at reflective surfaces or, or out the back wall. Um, number three on my list, um, turn your soundboard off during your rehearsal and see how much stage volume you've got going on. Sound pressure level that is totally beyond your control uh, if you're making the worship leader happy, if you're running monitors from there and he's, he says, I must have thus and so, and all the singers. Just turn it all down and kind of walk around the room, and if you can get the worship leader by the arm 
and say, brother, this is what I'm dealing with. Um, what do you want me to, to turn up? And that's what happens. It's, 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 it's a battle then. And you guys all, all know this, where Sister Susie says, I can't hear myself, and that bass player is too loud. And, you know, they ask for more, and they ask for more, and after a while, you can turn the PA off, and it's, it's still too loud, you know, in the house. So stage monitoring is, is such an important aspect of, of being a successful front of house operator if you can um, get that under control. Now, fortunately, we have some really great tools in today's world to, to help, that, help that happen, depending on where your budget's at, but you can at least be working towards it. Uh, I'll, I'll start at the pie in the sky. The ultimate goal is to get all amplifiers and uh, anything that makes sound remoted. So if the guitar player or the bass player says, oh, dude, I've, I've, I've got to have that Marshall turned up to heat those tubes up to get that tone that I'm after, then I go, fine, we're going to put your guitar back in a closet somewhere, your amp, and remote all the amps if, if they totally insist. Now, I know musician purists are that way, and I'm not putting them down. They're into their tone and into their sound, and you know they got to have it. But if you can remote all those things... If you've got acoustic drums, put them in a box. Um, the aesthetics people I know don't like that, but again, it's the laws of physics, uh, especially in a room this size. Now, they've chosen electronic drums, which, again, musician purist, poo-poo, but it gets the job done. And at least you can have a rhythm section going and have some control. Um, so having said that, if you get all those sound-making boxes off of the stage and can put people on in-ear monitors like uh, either you know d direct monitor mixes or doing the Avion system. How many people are familiar with Avion? Pretty much everybody heard of that. Basically what it is, it's just a, each singer or musician gets a, a little mixer box that you get 16 channels of whatever you want to hear um, and they can dial up their own mix and they wear earbuds. Um, so that's kind of the ultimate, and then you work backwards from there. Um, one other mistake in, in monitoring that I've seen, again, it's the same thing. Make sure the speakers, the monitor speakers, are actually pointed at the people's heads where they want to hear. I've been on some stages where they just haphazardly have some monitor speakers, and, and some of them are chalked up on um, um, hymn books or DI boxes or whatever they happen to have to sort of turn it into a wedge. and Or if it is a, it's a wedge, it may be set up for a, a short throw, meaning the angle is more steep and a lot of the sound's going up to the ceiling rather than a, a long throw you know, back to the people. So be aware of that, of how um, your, your wedges are set up um, for, the, uh, for the musicians. Just a really quick informal survey. How many would say that they struggle with stage volume? at their church. Good. Okay. Well, that looks like then 80% of you guys have, have sorted that out, so that's great news. The last thing, one of the most common problems is that in some installations, the aesthetics people uh, had won over uh, the technical people in their placement of their main speakers, and in some churches, these would be the main speakers which would 
be meaning that the microphones are either even with or in front of the main speakers. And again, laws of physics come into place that the sound comes out of there, gets back on the mic, and we all know what feedback is. So again, that's a, a, a pitfall in some of the older buildings that have done installs. Um, so I just encourage you to make sure if, it's, if it is a problem, if you have feedback issues, that's the first thing to kind of look at and make sure that um, your speaker placement is proper for your particular setup. Um, so anyway, those are just the highlights. Um, Dave kind of did a, a little story in opening that's similar in, um, in principle to what I usually say, but I'll, so I'll say it anyway, um, just to encourage you guys how important, and gals, how important it is what you all do and that you are indeed a part of the, the worship team uh, I feel like you're, you're part of even the pastoral team in that you partner with the pastor, um, the worship leader, everyone that's, that's on the stage. You are in equal partnership with them with what you do. So picture it's, it's Sunday morning and worship's about to start and uh, the pastor has uh, prayed and studied all week, uh, listening for what God would have him bring to the people in, in a message. Uh, the worship leader has uh, chosen the music that goes with that message, and they've rehearsed. And um, maybe somebody has a solo that week, and it's uh, it's a pretty pretty big deal for them. Um, they're pretty nervous about it. They've they've worked hard with it, and they really want to do good. Um, maybe their families come to hear them. They don't usually come to this church, but. Uh, you know, Susie or John, they have that solo this week, so they've come. And um, the service is about to begin, and the very first thing that happens is somebody walks up and grabs the mic, and it's cold. So right away, everyone's attention, rather than being on what the message was going to be, is suddenly, LG, what's wrong? And even if it's a quick fix, um, they've kind of lost. You've kind of lost that that. Um, precision, that, that direction towards what God would have. So um, it's, just really, it's just really important, uh, as Dave says, with, without what you people do, uh, what happens up here um, would not be nearly as effective. So um, I just want to pause right now and pray for you people real quick and then uh, have Chuck come up and then we can uh, go into our Q&A. Lord, thanks so much for uh, the incredible uh, dedication and uh, heart that the folks here have for serving you in, in the technical area. Um, it's an area that a lot of people don't understand what all goes into it. It's, a, it's an iceberg that they really only see the very small top portion, but uh, the rest of it goes, goes very deep to, uh, to make it all appear to work easily, but there's a lot of hard work. So, Lord, thanks, thanks for that, and I pray that you just affirm in uh, everyone's heart that's here this morning um, they're part of, of your kingdom building and uh, uh, encourage them and uh, I pray that through uh, what's said and, and uh, demonstrated uh, here today that we can uh, um, advance that cause and that our hearts can be knit together to uh, encourage each other um, as we go back to the uh, uh, home fellowships that we're at thanks Lord we love you Jesus in Christ's name Amen As uh, 
Uh, first, I'll just introduce myself. Uh, my name's uh, Chuck Zook. Currently, I'm a partner with Triumph Expressions, which is a uh, full-service uh, AVL company. Um, although our primary strength is is audio, uh, basically we we do live events. Uh, some of our clients include the Worship Tenant Creation Festival. Uh, we also do installations and upgrades, and uh, it's, it's nice to see some familiar faces out there, uh, uh, places where we've had the opportunity to work. Um, we also do rentals and sales, pretty much the whole gamut. Um, and like most of our clients are our churches. Uh, we do some <coughs> work with some uh, schools and uh, other nonprofit organizations, but uh, you know the main the main. Uh, our main clientele are, you know, is is the church, and that just kind of just came out of uh, the circle that that I grew up in, just growing up in the church, uh, being raised in a Christian home, working with local Christian bands, and it just one thing led to another, and one day I finally took the plunge and walked away from my day job, and um, the first uh, my first professional experience was was not starting a company I really really didn't see that coming um, my first real job if you will in audio was going out on the road with a band called the waiting from Atlanta Georgia um, and I basically went out on a trial weekend and the next week I was mixing in-ear monitors uh, you know and I was out on the road 200 days that first year and uh, this is ironic because I remember back in high school, I was like, well, it'd really be cool to get into sound and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I'd have to go get a job at Claire Brothers and I'd be out on the road all the time. And, and I, I just don't want to do that. And here I am, you know, 10 years later, 200 plus days, which uh, I don't necessarily recommend that to anybody, but uh, and Dan probably would attest yeah. to that. Um, but but that's that was a start. And... Uh, you know, you'd run into all kinds of situations. You, you know, you'd show up in a truck full of gear and see a big set of steps, and you have all kinds of challenges. You have to get all that gear in and, and work. Uh, you know, in most cases, you're working with volunteers that are helping you. Uh, but anyway, that was my my beginning, and I worked through several other bands uh, over the first couple years, uh, including uh, Small Town Poets and um, a lot of. Uh, a lot of great bands that just never made that step and you know achieved what you might you know call superstardom in, in the Christian music industry and and uh, but I I really valued you know those those times because as hard as they were uh, it just it drove you to to excel and you know you might have had a very difficult time loading in all the equipment that day, but you got it done. The show happened, and it went, you know, went off without a hitch, or at least went off with hitches that, you know, were not noticeable to the audience that that paid to come see the show that night, or was at uh, that particular event. Um, and that that's basically what what all of you deal with, you know, every Sunday. You might not have to load in equipment and set your sound system up, but you still have to go in and make sure things work. And like Dan mentioned, um, you know, you don't want someone to pick up a microphone to share something and it's, and it's not on. Um, 
whether it's a technical glitch or, or whether uh, the techs asleep at the wheel, <laughs> you know, uh, you don't want that to happen because it, it's a distraction. It kind of it stops the flow of of the worship service dead in its tracks. Whether it's a mic that's not on or uh, a video signal that's not making it to the board or feedback, um, you know, you don't you don't want to interrupt that because you know you're assembled there for for a very uh, serious purpose, and that's worshiping our Father. Um, and so, uh, basically, you know, every every Sunday, you know, it has to work with, without a hitch. You know, it has to, um, you know, the worship band comes in. Uh, how many of you uh, have rehearsals on Sunday morning prior to service? And how many of you that is your only rehearsal. Okay, sometimes yeah, um, and that can be a challenge too. If you're if you're just rehearsing Sunday morning, you got to make it happen. Like rehearsal has to, you know, be in order and working, and then you go right into the service, and, and that's tough. I mean, I, I know sometimes, uh, you know, even at my church, you know, we're going right up until five minutes before the service starts. You just got to catch your breath and dive into the service, and that and that's tough. Uh, I would highly recommend, if it's possible, having a worship uh, rehearsal during the week, uh, just because you have some space there. Um, at uh, my home church, which is Keystone Church in Paradise, uh, we have a Monday night rehearsal, uh, and basically there's no guaranteed technician there um, at this point, but I have... Uh, the worship team's been great to work with. I basically have shown them, look, here's how you turn the system on, here's how you can get your monitors, and they can rehearse uh, you know, with, without any impedance. Um, on then Sunday morning, they still come in and do a rehearsal, but now that rehearsal's a little more relaxed. Uh, that rehearsal is usually a little bit shorter, and they're actually done 15, maybe even 20 minutes before the service starts. So you get, actually have a chance to rest your ears, walk out of the sound booth, you know, go get a cup, cup of coffee, uh, you know, just get a little bit of a break and re- feel refreshed when you start that service. So um, now, obviously, if you don't have a week uh, weeknight rehearsal, um, it's, it's kind of hard to get everybody on board to suddenly create one, but it's worth exploring and, uh, you know, and you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with, with sound? And, and what's, what really makes, makes it work? I mean, the gear, I would argue, isn't even, isn't even half the story. Uh, Dan alluded to the space that you're in. That's, that's one thing that you have to deal with. But also, the interpersonal part is, is half of it. And if you can give everybody, create a more relaxed environment for everyone, worship team and the technician, I think that really lends itself, you know, to the whole experience. Everyone's a little relaxed, a little more focused uh, as you know as they're doing their jobs. Because if you're if you're rushed, you're frantic, and you're like something's not working, and then and you're scrambling to find it, and you're like what what's going on? And it just it's harder to troubleshoot if you're rushing around because you're doing you know the rehearsal and everything all in all in a matter of a couple hours. Um, and back, getting back to that interpersonal part, 
any, any job that I've worked, whether it was a show, a church service, whether it was something I was getting paid for or volunteering at my church, uh, the bad days are usually the ones where there's some kind of interpersonal conflict going on. So it, it is so important um, to just to have that mutual respect that, that you know, Dave alluded to, Dan alluded to, and, and try to understand each other as you're, you know, you're serving the worship team and trying to accommodate their needs. And uh, you know, a, lot, a lot of it's just how, how you approach each other uh, you know, and you know, the tone of voice and, and just uh, trying to work together as a team because you're all trying to accomplish the same purpose. Like we're all trying to worship. We're just doing our part in that. Uh, you as a technician uh, operating the sound system, which is that interface through which everything's communicated uh, and everything, uh, you know, voices uh, and instruments praising the Lord. Um, my, uh, getting back to the, what I was saying earlier, my, like my worst times are the times where there was interpersonal conflict. And there's just, first of all, I mean, it's not, it's not right. But also, it just makes a long day for everyone if there's some kind of conflict there. So I've really encouraged you to try to, you know, uh, during a rehearsal, walk around on stage uh, with your musicians. And, you know, if they're having a problem and you don't really understand, like, I don't understand what they're talking about. Like, I can hear that bass amp fine all the way back here. Uh, but maybe it's not that way on stage, you know. Uh, so I would just you know try try to walk in their shoes, walk on stage during rehearsal, hear what they're hearing, uh, just try to approach it from their standpoint as far as you know meet, meeting their needs. Uh, maybe if you have any time off between services, uh, I know during um, our Sunday school hour falls right between our our early and uh, service and our second service. I often use that time to hang out with the worship team chat with them. It might just be talking about life stuff. It might be talking about the service that we just had, how to feel on stage. Um, you know, and week to week, a lot of it's the same, but you have different players, uh, different songs, and uh, just use that time, if you have it, to hang out with them, get to know them a little bit better. Uh, talk about, you know, upcoming needs. I mean, um, the worship leader at my church, like we actually are at a point where on occasion, you know, if, if there's an audio need that is connected with the worship team and I'm out of budget, he will often extend some of his budget to me so we can, you know, acquire some small things, whether it's another microphone um, or, you know, a little rack so we can condense some of the equipment on stage. It's not laying all over the place. Uh, you know, we, we have a good relationship in that regard. I mean, church budgets are, you know, always very tight and so it's it's kind of surprising you know if you hear someone that's willing to give some of their budget to to another department in the church um, but just I would just encourage you to try to hang out with your, your worship leader uh, your worship team you know um, and it's hard to schedule meetings so sometimes just capitalize any extra time you might have during during on a Sunday or a, or a Wednesday night or a rehearsal night um, just get to know them, and, and your worship leader can often be your ally. You know, if you're having a problem uh, with with a stage volume item, or or you're trying to convince your guitar player to put their guitar backstage, 
uh, and that and that doesn't always go over very well. Uh, but and, and for good reason. I mean, if I was a guitar player, I think I would probably be a little I'm like, well, I like having that amp right there and hearing it. But if you're on any of your monitors, I really, you know, your amp's just as fine in the back closet, you know, on, on any of your monitors because that's how you're hearing your amp now anyway. Um, but yeah, your worship leader it can be a, a good ally if you're having an issue like that and kind of be a an, um, liaison um, in helping you solve certain problems that you're having, you know, with with your your audio setup or with the worship team, uh, whether it's stage volume or um, someone refuses to use their Avion mixer or something like that. Um, but but like I said, the interpersonal part is so key. I mean, that for me, that's half of it. If you have if you're working with a team of people and everyone's courteous and respectful, uh, you know, that, that goes a long way. It makes for a great day. Um, the gear, you know, that's, that's part of it, but the acoustics are, are part of it, but the interpersonal part is so important, um, and that just really sets the tone, you know, for the, for the day. Um, just following up on a couple things that Dan had uh, mentioned, um, the, the acoustics, um, you know, a, a lot of a lot of us we we deal with what we're dealt. We, you know, uh, unless your church is in the process of building a new facility, um, you know, you, you know the best thing to do is is try to approach leadership and see what they can do as far as acoustical treatment. If you are in the planning stages of an expansion project or a new building or moving to a new building. I, I can't emphasize how important it is to try to do anything you can to beg that there will be acoustical treatment included in that budget. Um, that, I mean, you could have a million dollar system in a room with bad acoustics and it's, you're going to be sorely disappointed because you can't, you just can't fix that. Um, you know, on the other hand, you can have a hundred thousand dollar system, maybe even less, in a room with great acoustics, it'll sound like a million bucks. And I've traveling around uh, the country in various venues. Um, I've I was in a venue in Florida. They had very expensive Meyer sound system. Uh, I think they had twenty twenty four boxes of Meyer Milo cabinets, which I believe are priced. Twelve thousand a box. Twelve thousand, twelve thousand bucks a box, and they have twenty-four. And honestly, I was struggling the whole night with that show because it just didn't sound good. It it was the acoustics. It was a kind of like a big cave, and they there was some treatment there, but it was a very impressive looking building. Uh, but it. It just didn't sound like good. It was very disappointing. All that money was spent on that those high-end speaker cabinets, and it just didn't sound good. On the other hand, I was in another church in uh, Bethel, Minnesota. They took the time. They not only had acoustical clouds installed um, throughout the auditorium, but then they went in after that and up on top and put in a bunch of R13 insulation on top of the clouds. Uh, and it was, it was a rather expensive system. It was an uh, EV line array, uh, but not nearly as expensive as, as the Meyer uh, line array I referenced in Florida. Um, 
I heard details on my tracks. Um, the show I was doing at the time was Veggie Tales, so there wasn't a live band. <laughs> it was uh, just tracks and, and, and vocals. Um, I heard details on the tracks that I never heard before. And the, the acoustics, acoustical treatment uh, was, was incredible. I mean, it was the best sounding room I had heard in years. And, and, it, and, I, and I complimented the guys. I, 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 like, I greatly appreciate that as a traveling engineer at the time. And you know, so that, that's just a, an example you know, of why the acoustics are so important. Uh, and another thing that it would be important, um, just the stage design. Like, like Dan said, many of you, you're dealing with spaces that were given to you, you inherited. And most churches, the traditional design is you have the, op the open stage, um, but you'll see some newer uh, churches, uh, a lot of the newer designs actually are designed more like an auditorium or a theater, where you actually, you know, right here, there's actually a proscenium wall, like a theater, and then an opening. So the band is pretty much surrounded, you know, pretty much by, by three walls. And so you have, usually have some soft goods, some curtains in there, and that really helps separate the band from the, the audience, and you get some separation there, so you can actually hear the mix through the PA, whereas if you have an open stage, and if you have a, a louder, more contemporary band, you're getting a lot of stage volumes going directly into the first couple rows. Uh, the challenge at, at Keystone Church is it's a very small auditorium, and of course it was originally the, the worship was probably just piano, maybe some acoustic guitar. Uh, stage is completely open. Uh, you know, we're maxed out as far as capacity. The first row, I believe, is about three feet from the stage. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we've got the whole, we've got the little drum box. We have everything except the roof. We have the plexi shield. We have the, there's baffles in front of the kit on the lower part. There's a wall of baffles behind them, um, and and that's really helped us dramatically. Uh, we went to Avion's a few years ago. That's helped us dramatically. Um, but if you if you are in that step where you're planning to build, I would really also recommend beyond the acoustical treatment, designing a space that's more conducive for a contemporary worship band, and that that would. For me, the big big part of that is have that proscenium wall like a theater, and then that allows you to hang some soft goods, and that will absorb a lot more stage volume. And you might it might even give you the flexibility, you know, it might be able to crank the monitors up a little bit, uh, you know, make the band a little happier um, with that, because now you, you're creating some more isolation, you know, from the, the house, from the congregation uh, congregation seating area. Um, Not really sure. Uh, I guess I just want to touch some base, touch base here on just some some board technique here. Um, one of the things that's very important is your uh, gain structure. Uh, I've you know jumped on some soundboards, you know, at some churches and even other areas. And, and some the classic example is uh, you know the uh, the channel is almost peaking out. The main volume is all the way down here, and everything just really out of whack. It's hard to get a lot of uh, a lot of decent level out of it. And typically, uh, one thing that I do 
this is a good, a good safe way to set levels. Um, is start with your fader. at the unity position, which is zero. Testing one, two. And what, what we're trying to do is turn up your gain, your trim, on the mic until you get a suitable, a suitable level. Um, you might not your input might not be metering at, at zero dB, but that gives you some headroom. Um, you might do a sound check with a singer, and you know they, they're singing at, a, at their normal level, and you, if you have this uh, mic gained up at zero dB already, and then all of a sudden they hit a big part and they really nail it, everyone's ducking for cover. So this method of having your fader at zero dB and then just bringing your gain up until you have a suitable, um, suitable working volume gives you some, some headroom there, gives you some, a little bit of a safety margin. Um, that's not going to happen. And that's also assuming that your, your mains, you, you would, you know, this, usually you try to have the mains about at zero dB, uh, in, in rehearsal, I might come down a couple dB, so I have some, a little bit of wiggle room when the when the uh, auditorium is full of people and they're absorbing some of that sound. Um, but it this is a, just a basic uh, way to approach uh, mixing that that's safe, I and mean, that's not the only way to dial in your channel. Uh, but like I said, the main reason. I suggest that is that you have some head, you have some uh, wiggle room here with with your uh, your your uh, gain with your mic pre. Uh, you're not going to be hitting it. Another thing, I, I totally agree with Chuck. That's how I would recommend you set it up. The other advantage to that is most of us are running monitors. Uh, if you have open wedges from front of house, you don't have a dedicated monitor mix on a split. By running your your pre or your trim, as we call it, as, as cool as possible, as low as possible, that will eliminate more feedback problems uh, on, on the stage. So if you've got your main fader down and you're having to trim things up in order to get an operational volume out in here, you're making that mic hotter and hotter and it's going to be more susceptible uh, to feedback. And again, I apologize for you, those who have been through this and know all this before, but we'll just start at the basics and work our, our way up through. Um, an analogy, if, if you have to teach some, some trainees that I found to be very helpful for them to understand the difference between the fader and the, the trim knob is, is a water analogy. Uh, think of your trim knob as like the pump running, making water pressure. Your fader is merely a valve. It opens and closes. So if you're turning the fader up, yeah, the sound gets louder, but that's not really what's driving it. It's, it's, it's your pump. So what you'd want to do, if you, if you were putting a water system in, you want to make sure that pipe is big enough and your valve is open uh, so that that pump doesn't have to run so hard. Whereas if you did it the other way, where you had your fader almost closed and you want to get some, some water volume going through and you turn the pump up, that little guy is just spinning away. So anyway, that's just uh, an analogy that I use with training 
folks that are just getting into it so they can understand why it's important to keep that fader up and then your trim as cool as possible to get an operational volume. So pardon me for jumping yeah, in, good. the monitor thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and as far as uh, monitors, another thing, and some of this stuff, you know, forgive me uh, if it sounds simplistic and most of you probably employ these practices, but uh, I've also come across them a lot uh, out there doing uh, service work, uh, tuning systems is, uh, you know, open mics. Uh, if there, you know, anytime there's a mic not being used, just make sure it's muted. Uh, you know, if, if you have an older console that doesn't have a mute button, you know, uh, yank the fader down. Um, although I would uh, usually recommend if you have the mute button, use that. Don't pull the fader down. Then you, have, you still have your reference point. Um, running your monitors, make sure uh, your uh, your auxiliary sends that are running your monitors are in pre-fader mode, not post-fader. Uh, the only exception might be if you're using uh, you know iPod or CD um, for for tracks uh, where they're needed in the monitors. You know that's an example where you would want to run those channels post-fader so that your monitor level when you pull down the fader in the house, it also comes down to the monitor too. Because uh, otherwise, you pull the fader down and it's still blared in the monitor, you know, especially if, if you let the CD go and it bumped to the next track. You might not hear it in the house anymore, but it's still pumping through the monitor. Um, so just, but yeah. Sorry, can you just do a quick explain what pre and post fader means? Yes. Um, pre, a pre fader, as far as in relationship to the aux, means that the, the level of the aux, if it's in pre-fader mode, uh, level of the aux send is not affected by your fader position. So it means you're sending a direct uh, level. Post-fader means it is affected. For example, you could have your auxiliary turned up, say, 12 o'clock. If it's in post-fader mode, I can have that turned up. I'm not going to hear a thing because my fader's down. As I bring my fader up, then then you'll you'll get some love. So, like I said, in most cases, you, for monitoring purposes, you want a pre-fader uh, pre-fader setting, uh, with the exception of the CD or playback uh, examples that I gave as well. The challenge of most consoles is. Uh, more of the budget consoles, you don't get to choose that on each individual auxiliary send. Like for example, in the Salon and Heath, uh, I can the first four auxiliary sends are on are grouped together as far as that selection. Um, so typically for this console, if I'm not doing a, a small concert, you know those four are my monitor mixes if I'm running monitors from from this console as well. Um, the last two are grouped together, and typically I'll use those for four of my effects sends. Um, the, the higher end you go as far as consoles, uh, you will have, you can dictate each auxiliary send, whether it's pre-fader or post-fader. Uh, for example, like if you have uh, Yamaha M7, uh, I think, uh, I'm just trying to recall some of the consoles I saw in the survey. Uh, I think someone has Soundcraft. MH3 console, uh, I think. Does that does that offer individual pre-fader selections? I just 
Most likely it does. I know the MH4 would, but as you go up, you know, that's some of the bells and whistles you get. You get greater flexibility with consoles as you go up in the, in the, the uh, price range out there. Um, trying to think of some other, other basics. Yes? If you could just kind of give a general uh, overview of the whole board, like what some of the different features are, like the basic one on one. Sure, yeah. Let's start with uh, uh, as, as far as uh, we'll just go with a standard channel here. Um, on this console, uh, one of the nice things to have is, is if you have separate um, phantom power buttons on each channel as opposed to a global phantom power. Uh, The uh, phantom, phantom power, uh, if you're not quite familiar with it, is uh, condenser mics require a low voltage uh, signal to become active. Consoles provide that voltage when that um, feature is turned on. Now, on, on some consoles, all you have is a master switch that it's sending phantom power through every, you know, through every channel. Uh, the Allen Heath, uh, despite the fact that it is a, a budget board, it does have individual phantom power buttons, and it sends it sends low voltage down uh, pin pin one of your of your uh, XLR your microphone cable. Um, very very important uh, tip there, and some of you might have discovered this is just make sure you have your channel muted, fader down anytime you are turning that button on or off because it will get ugly <laughs> if the fader's up. Um, uh, again, so if you, have, if you have a condenser mic, you need that 48 volt button pushed in. Um, the next button we have here is uh, polarity, which is the, the phase of the, uh, of the microphone. Uh, in most cases, you want, you want everything to be <coughs> in phase. Um, the only uh, typical example is if you're miking a drum kit, if you're miking the top and the bottom of the snare, typically you want to throw that bottom mic out of phase, otherwise you're going to have cancellation between those two microphones. Um, uh, the phase button it can also be a troubleshooting tool if you're, uh, you have like an iPod line plugged in and, or a CD player, especially if someone brought it in for a special use. Uh, you know, something just doesn't sound right. Start punch your phase, your polarity buttons or phase buttons in or out, and uh, that will often be an indicator as well if you're having a problem with that. Uh, Another example yeah. on that then too on on phase. Um, just so again, so you can explain this to guys you're working with. Um, if you were to look at audio sound waves on an oscilloscope. Um, we talk in terms of, of frequency, so let's say a one kilohertz tone, that means that a thousand times per second that wave is going above the center point and below the center point. That's, that's one um, measurement of, of that. When you flip the phase, in, instead of you look at that same going up and down like this as compared to a normal one, you flip it, it merely takes the positive and, and makes it happen in time 
below. So if you were to take the same source and hit two channels with it and pop one of them out of phase, if both of them were at equal level, your sound would go away because they're canceling each other out. So there's lots of phasing and canceling going on just naturally in sound. The analogy, or not the analogy, but the one application that I found really helpful for those of you who do drama with either in lobs or with head mics, uh, or anytime you have more than one sound source close to each other, both of them being mic, the drama especially happens, you'll have uh, Chuck here and I, and we're having a dialogue, and we're both in head mics. Both of our voices are being picked up by both mics. And sometimes what will happen is you get this sort of swishy, weird sort of hollow sound uh, that's phasing that's happening. So one quick fix for that, and it doesn't always work, it just depends on how close they are and how loud, but one quick fix is to pop one of them out of phase. Same with you got a line of singers, and they're all like really, really close to each other. Or sometimes choir mics, if you're mic in a large choir, and you might have some mics in front and, and the next one's back, or even every other one if you're having trouble getting enough gain before feedback, try popping some of them in and out of phase, and sometimes that'll take care of that naturally occurring um, cancellation that's happening. And that could be a good tool to use if you run a separate monitor console for your monitors, often it's a trick that, that uh, I've seen used and have used is throwing the vocal mics out of phase just to get some more gain. Uh, out of that and also it can help uh, lessen some problems with uh, between the monitor levels and the uh, front of house mix, especially if you're in, indoors. Um, the uh, next button down here is a, is a line or pad button and basically um, you can use that as two functions. If you're, if you're using a quarter inch input uh, on the Allen Heath, you would need uh, to push that in in order to get the signal, or if you have a very hot signal, uh, use it as a pad. Um, pads are all different every console. Uh, usually, it's going to knock it down about 20 dB. I know in some of the Yamaha, I think it's like 26. It's pretty. It's pretty steep cut. But if you have a real hot signal, uh, someone maybe with an active bass, uh, some you know. Samples, if you're using samples or loops with your percussion, uh, some of those signals can be very hot. So it's a very useful tool just to knock that, knock that gain down. And sometimes, even if it's not clipping, you know, I'm, I get a hot signal uh, even if the gain's all the way down. So I'll hit that pad button, and at least I can go somewhere. I have some headroom to work with. Um, which leads to the, uh, the gain or trim. Um, not sure what term you're you're used to, or what you see on your console, but the gain of the trim knob, you know that that's that that pump that Dan talked about earlier. Um, another important feature, the next right below the gain is a a, a high pass filter. Uh, some consoles will call it a low cut filter. Uh, what this does is usually it will cut anywhere from 80 hertz to 100 hertz. All those frequencies will. will roll those off. And that is very, very useful feature. Um, even better if you have a larger console that has a sweepable high-pass filter where you get to choose the frequency and you get to roll that up. Like for example, on a hi-hat mic, if I have the ability to sweep that high-pass filter, I'm going to take that up to almost 400 hertz because I don't need any of that 
stuff below that to hear the hi-hat. I even said, I want that nice crisp sound of the hi-hat. You don't need to hear anything bassy in, in that instrument. Um, that, that is really key in gaining, getting some headroom out of your system. Um, and pretty much on a console like this where I don't have the choice of the frequency and we're, we're fixed at 100 hertz, um, I pretty much engage that filter on every channel except for the kick drum, uh, maybe floor tom and bass guitar. Uh, Keyboards are up in the air. It all depends on what sound patch they're using. Sometimes you want some that low end, especially a, if you want a big, big, heavy string fill uh, com comes in. And that's kind of to taste. But typically, you really want to make use of these high pass filters. Um, you know, and the only exception might be if you if you happen to have a uh, maybe a, a gospel quartet. You know, that that bass fill you might want to disengage that. You know, to get that really feel that that low end in their vocal but typically you want it just helps clean up the mix and it also uh, is saving your your system energy uh, bass frequencies require the most energy uh, you know compared to your mids and highs you know, that's why if you look at a at a system sound system amplifier rack uh, where the sub amps are always the large the largest amps in the rack it takes a lot of energy to reproduce those frequencies effectively at the same levels as your, your highs and mids. Um, so that, using that high pass filter is really going to help clean up your mix a little bit. Uh, you know, basically, you just consider the source. You know, with a, with a voice, you know, you don't, you don't need to feel any low end with a vocal. You don't need to feel low end uh, with an acoustic guitar unless maybe your acoustic guitar is, is very instrument. Um, you know, there, are, there are exceptions. Uh, same thing with the piano. In, in a mix of a band, you know, a piano, it's a challenge to get it out there, especially if, if it's a true acoustical piano and being mic. Uh, often in a mix, the piano's going to sound a little thin, whereas if you have a, a pianist doing a solo concert, it's going to sound a lot full. You're going to definitely want to put, try to get more low end in that, in that instrument uh, through the mix. So a, a lot of it you know, there, there are exceptions uh, to these things, but I really would encourage the use of the high-pass filter, uh, especially uh, if you have the ability to change its frequency. If you have a sweepable high-pass filter, uh, you know, just in rehearsal, uh, or, or go into your church, you know, put in a CD or an iPod, and just experiment, and you'll, you'll kind of get a better feel where you can set your high-pass filters for each instrument if you have that ability. If you don't, I, I would really encourage you just Engage that on, on on all your channels except maybe kick, bass, guitar, you know, and then the other instruments are kind of to taste as far as your keyboard sounds. Yes, sir. You were talking about we don't have that we don't have the filter on ours. But my question is the other way. What if you can't get enough of the low end out of your keyboard as far as more of the droning sound on that like that heavy on it, an up tempo song where there's a lot of low end mm -hmm. on keyboard. You get that like that heavy reverb, reverb type of droning sound coming out of the keyboard. As far as we have trouble getting rid of that sometimes, where it's, it's really a heavy. Is, is there a way of backing that off? Your, I mean, we back it off on our low end. Okay. But I mean, we actually have times we'll run that low end the whole way down. Okay. 
Is it coming from the stage as well? Well, that's what I, I think it is. Yeah. Okay. Um, one way, if you have a good a good rapport with that keyboard player, is it is it acoustic uh, or a, a synth like keyboard? Electronic. Uh, well, it's acoustic, right? So it's I mean, it's acoustic piano. No, it's a keyboard. Oh, like okay. A keyboard. All right. I, okay. I wasn't sure yeah, because they can go in there and edit that patch if if, uh, if, okay. if they're familiar with it and roll off some of the bottom end. Um, the other way to do it would be to go ahead and insert a separate um, equalizer box. You wouldn't have to spend a lot of money uh, between the the output of that keyboard and what you're getting, um, like a, just a 31 band EQ. Um, stick it in there and go ahead and start decimating the, the bottom end and work your way up until you get get rid of it. Yeah, it can be a, a scary thing, especially if, if you have someone changing their keyboard patches. Uh, I, I think we've probably all been burned by someone changes the keyboard patch and for whatever reason the level of that patch is drastically different than, than the one they were just using. Um, so that, that's you know, might be a good candidate for a, for a compressor <laughs> at times, too. Um, the, uh, the next step, uh, another thing as far as you talk about uh, can't, not, in your situation, you weren't able to cut enough low end out of that. Uh, if you're not, you know, if you're not getting enough, if you have the opposite problem, you know, definitely want to, you know, check on stage, uh, you know, <coughs> make sure you have you know, there's not a problem with a direct box, a microphone, bad mic line. You know, again, a mic line, if, you know, one of those three wires in the line got pinched, you know, you're, you're suddenly dealing with a drastically different signal. So that might be, if you notice, you have that opposite problem, you can't get enough, it just sounds really thin, it's time for troubleshooting to begin and go back to the source on the stage and see if you have a problem there. Um, next section is our EQ section. Um, the, uh, the Allen Heath is nice for its price range because it's got two sweepable bands. There's a high mid and low mid band that are sweepable frequencies. Um, and then your, your highs is a, uh, cut at 12,000 hertz, cut or boost at 12,000 hertz. And then the low is, is a uh, boost at, booster cut at 80 hertz. Um, this is where you really get to shape shape your sound of your instrument or vocal, um, and the goal basically is you just want to try to get it sound as natural as possible. We're not trying to you know reinvent the wheel as far as how it sounds. Just want it to sound natural and uh, you know clear, uh, very articulate in the mix. Um, and one important thing is is always check because you know. I don't know, um, some of you might deal with uh, sound systems that aren't fully secure throughout the week, so mm -hmm. you might come in and certain buttons have been pushed, knobs have been tweaked. Uh, make sure your, your EQ um, is actually punched in. If, if you have an EQ uh, button on your console, just make sure that's punched in, otherwise your EQ is not doing anything to, to the uh, signal coming through it. Uh, next section, you're coming down, you have your auxiliary sends, which we talked about earlier, which you'd use to uh, send to your monitors. Uh, you might send it to a, a subgroup. Some of you use Avion, you might have to create subgroups 
if you have, you're kind of out of channels when you're having a mixer, you might need to submix the drums or submix other groups of instruments or vocals. Or using your auxiliaries to send to uh, effects units or recording devices. Again, and, and just want to make sure you have your your post and pre-fade buttons uh, chosen appropriately. Uh, next feature down is the pan knob. Yep. Yeah. Can you go back to EQ for a second? Yeah. Um, for a vocal, where would you kind of start getting a, vocal, a good vocal EQ? A lot of it just depends on the system as well. I, I usually try uh, in tuning a system that the vo vocal is close to flat. Um, however, you might not have the option of, of tuning the system. I don't know. Sometimes the EQs are covered up in the security cover or you have a black box in the closet somewhere in the amp rack or there's nothing you can do. Um, again, usually what I find myself doing on most systems is I'll usually end up cutting some of the low end out you know, of, of a vocal um, and um, sometimes you'll, you'll be boosting some of the high mids like to get some clarity uh, like around 6.3k 6 or 5k you know even down into 4k but you also want to be careful because if you're driving monitors from front of house you're making you might be making that boost in the monitors and a lot of monitors your feedback's going to happen up in those high the high mid range um, for uh, female vocals often boost uh, 2k just brings brings that out a little bit um, but it all depends on the system I mean the, uh, the system's been properly tuned you shouldn't have to do anything too drastic just a little touch up but if you find yourself cranking either making drastic boosts or cuts I, there's I would suspect there's something wrong somewhere else and the system has to be retuned or you know, something's something's amiss before that. Um, one thing I found that uh, a lot of folks are dealing with because you have volunteers is my technique with your service. <laughs> ah, okay. <laughs> this this doesn't work really well. The navel the navel hold that doesn't work really well either. Um, I'm just going to jump back real quick, and it does reference this on the survey. <coughs> There were some really, really interesting statistics, and when you look at this, it it's, it says that the relationship between this particular group of people and the musicians seventy percent were were really good or friendly. Well, they use the word friendly. That means that thirty percent of you were anywhere from adversarial at the worst to just businesslike. Um, <laughs> was one of one of the picks. The amazing was a really small little percentage. Anyway, all that to say is, you just got to walk up there. Um, the the musicians have a lot on their mind, and probably way down the list was how they're how they're doing their mic technique. Um, so that has a lot to do with how you turn the knobs here. Um, microphones have a thing called bass proximity effect. If you've ever been to a Southern Gospel concert, as he alluded to, you got a Southern Gospel group. The bass singer is just about swallowing the mic. The closer you get the mic to the sound source, the more of a bass boost you get. Okay? And I guess I'd rather have too much because you can take it away than having somebody hold the mic like this and 
they sound thin, you've got them on the bleeding edge of feedback trying to get that vocal out, and you really just don't have anything to work with. So go up and talk to them, and while they're singing, yeah, they'll look at you kind of sideways, but just go, you know, yeah, holy, oh, wow, I can hear myself now in the monitor. Because they're, sometimes they're scared or they don't want to hear themselves. You know, we sometimes, when we're running monitors from front of house, play that game with the singer. If you're in the service and suddenly they're drifting away, I turn their monitor down. And then they go, oh, okay, and now I can hear myself because it, it makes them get closer. Um, also on the survey, there were a lot, a lot of questions about EQ, so... I'll just got a little stand, again a standard spiel on, on EQ. One of my other analogies I like to use is that we're painting a picture, but instead of paint colors, it's it's sound. And we, we use a lot of those kind of um, analogies when we talk about sound. You know, we, we we have some of these nebulous terms like you know, gee, it's, it sounds a little dark, or you know, could you brighten that up a little bit? And so it, it's a natural analogy to talk about sound. So our sound systems have just so much of a canvas to work with. And we can choose all the different colors that we have, the, the, the bass sounds, the mid-range, the vocals, the guitars, to fill that canvas with sound. But what happens a lot of times is, is that a lot of these instruments will, um, in their natural state, occupy that same space frequency-wise. Like the piano is one of the worst because you can go from all the way down to the lows all the way up to the highs. And each instrument uh, occupies a certain amount of, of frequency that you can work with. Some broader, some much smaller, like a cymbal or a hi-hat. It's just there. So as you're painting your, your picture of sound, you have to start making some decisions when you have sounds that are, that are overlapping each other. Because if you put it into the picture mode, you're just putting paint on top of each other. And it muddies things up. You're not able to actually hear all those parts very well, even though they're all being blazed through the system. So EQ is a very powerful tool where you can start to say, you know what? Um, I've, got, I've got two acoustic guitars playing. I've got the bass. I've got a keyboard player who's um, you know, going away. Let's start thinking about what we can do to just decide which instrument or which input source will occupy those particular frequencies. So uh, vocals, of course, everybody wants to hear. That's important. That's the words. Um, so what I typically do is when you have a full band going, uh, we start using that, that high pass, if you have that ability. Go ahead and, and, and start taking away some of the mud, some of the low frequencies. Hopefully your singers have good mic technique and they're right on it so you've got a good full range signal. You start taking away some of those frequencies that aren't really that important in an in a ensemble kind of a situation so that uh, the words and the articulation are getting through and you don't have a kind of muffled song that's on top of everything else, your bass guitar, your kick drum. So each instrument uh, occupies a certain space. Acoustic guitar, especially if you're using them as a, as a rhythm instrument and you already have a full band going, you really want to hear the higher ends of the strings to, to get the rhythm, that nice, transparent, sparkly, high-end sound. So on the guitars, a lot of times, I'll start high-passing those up and taking some of the bottom end away. That's leaving sonic room 
not only for your system, but for what you hear, then for the bass guitar, for the kick drum. Um, maybe you have a, 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 a synth pad or a, or a string pad that actually does have a nice left hand going low that you want to hear, so that leaves room for that. On the other hand, again, this is this has gone from preaching to meddling, as we would say, but if you have a keyboard player who's playing a part and there's really no reason to have any more bass, you can ask them, could you, or ask the worship leader to ask them, let's go through phases, ask them to either sit on their left hand altogether or move everything up an octave to get that out of that, that range because there's no reason for it to, you know, to be there if you have a bass guitar player playing those parts. So again, this is where that relational thing, I'll come back to that, is really important. Um, and just let them know we're all on the same page. We're not whiners back there. We're just trying to make it better than it is. Um, the, the, the EQ, probably the most powerful thing, are the, uh, the, the lower end knobs, just to, to take some of that mud away and, and clean up the bottom end and suddenly everything uh, gets a little more pristine and a little brighter. Chuck alluded on the vocals, do a little 5K, maybe even a little 10K, uh, if your system will not go into feedback, if, if somebody's voice just needs that little bit of sparkle you know, put on it. Um, there was one other point that just went. <laughs> oh, uh, if, you're doing acoustic, if you're doing acoustic drums, one little trick to get some articulation on the kick drum, and this sounds totally out of control, but is you go ahead and get rid of some of the mid-range mud, the bass guitar this works too, 250 to 500, maybe take a little bit of that away, and then on a kick drum, um, so that people can still hear it and feel it, is put a little 8K or 10K on it to get a little bit of a click, okay? So you, you have the punch, but you, always have a little, you also have a little click going so that people actually hear that rhythm and that drive, but you don't have to put it up so loud um, that you know that it's it's disco, <laughs> which we won't get away with. Yes, sir. Now back to uh, mic placement. Yes. Rather than just telling them to hold your mic closer, mm -hmm. is there a is there an ideal location? You know, what I mean, not really. I mean, it depends on the vocalist. Um, you, you'll notice that a lot of worship leaders, their lips will be touching the mic and. That gives you all you all you need. Now, if somebody's really bad with their plosives, with their P's, and, and you start having all those P pops, then obviously you got to back off. But I don't know. Uh, usually, three fingers is you know is, is is pretty optimal. You know, like that. Every every singer is going to be different. Some are self-conscious about getting it, but that yeah, that's 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 a pretty good analogy there. Yes, sir. Uh, for the, holding the mic like that, is it proper to say to hold it straight like this, not like this? Uh, for P-pops, this is actually better. Yeah, like like that is, is not as good. Some people I, I like the hide behind the mic. Um, you guys might know uh, Matt Redman, a songwriter, wrote a lot of songs before him. He is notorious. He adjusts the mic, and he every time he gets up and he wants to hide behind it. So, yeah, for your P-pops... That, that'll get rid of, of some of those plosives if they go like that. But again, you know, I, I guess I'd rather take that and then be close than to have it start creeping, you know, away. Yeah? Well, I'm mixing, uh, like, at home on my DAW. Um, 
usually it's the, the guitar and, and the keyboards usually like like you said kind of mesh together. Perfectly. Usually I, I mean when I'm if I'm recording at home I can just kind of pan them just a little right. bit opposite direction. But when at church where we you know obviously run a mono, so mm -hmm. is there what's what's a good way to kind of get some separation between the two? Mm, in a mono mix. Yeah. yeah, pretty much all you have then is is picking your patch and, and just deciding yeah. what is going to be featured in in uh, in what frequency band. And then of course your arrangement, you know, has a lot to do with that too. If if if, if you can spread the keyboard, you know, your left and right hand depending on what is playing, rather than it all being in the same particular bandwidth, you know, if you think of it in terms of, of a keyboard, if it's just all like right in the middle, and the same thing would apply uh, to guitars, you know, if you have two acoustics and an electric player, and you look up, and they're all bar chording the exact same thing, well, that that's just layering things, so, you know, get, get the electric guy to go up, and maybe noodle, and get one guy to do maybe an open chord type arrangement, and the other guy, you know, go ahead and, and bar chord up and you know Dave could speak into that from an arrangement point of view. It, it certainly helps if you if you have some musical background that you can make these suggestions, but you can talk to the worship leader and just say, hey, try to get your, your arrangements so that people are not walking on each other with you know with what they're playing. Just kind of spread it out. Um, well I, you mentioned feature, you say feature. You mean you don't actually like set it up before the service and then you, you touch it after the service starts? What are you talking the about? The mix? Okay. Of um, course, <laughs> but but I, and I think I think there is a like like you as a sound guy making the call to the hey you know I just I may, maybe the arrangement is good but maybe it's not and maybe you have to arrange it and make the decision. Say, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, on the fly actually uh, at LCBC where I, I mix sometime I have a, a a good relationship with uh, with our worship leader with Matt. You know, Goss there and, and Andy, uh, who's the worship and arts guy, and but that was bred out of some confrontation. It was brotherly, but it was confrontation nonetheless. Early on, when I first started mixing there, uh, I go, "Oh, hey man, I, I can't hear, can't hear her, you know, and I don't hear this part." I go, "Okay, here you go," and I push it up and I get it up so you can hear it, and then he suddenly realized why it was I decided that we weren't going to use that part. <laughs> During the performance, um, you know, some sometimes the gals will just happen to be singing a little flat that day, the alto, and you know, for for the for the good of the worship, I have to make that call, and I'll go ahead and duck it out. Um, sometimes we have two electric players, and I don't I don't tell them this obviously or rub it in their face, but if one guy just blew it or I didn't think the part was really adding anything to the worship and it was a distraction, I'll just dump it. Sorry, they're wailing away on their in ears, so they don't have a clue <laughs> what's, what's happening. So it's just us chickens here, okay? We don't, we don't tell them. Sorry, okay? okay. okay. <laughs> Obviously, it was the worship leader. Well, you just got to live with it. You can't, uh, you can't do away with the lead vocal. Yeah, and I mean, I know every church situation is different, but that's just the reality of it. And I'm on tour. I mean, Chuck tell you the same thing. If somebody's having a bad night, um, I would rather them not be heard than to embarrass themselves. Um, or even anything that they're, if they're screwing up, it's just, it's just doubling. And you're like... I, it's not adding anything yeah. to... Yeah. Like to, I guess to give them the license to say, it's okay to like... Yeah, I mean, sometimes you're going to have to play producer 
That's a good word. And, yeah. And, and sometimes you do it quietly, like as Dan mentioned, you know, if someone's having a bad day, we're going to duck them down a little bit, you know, especially if you if it's two electrics. Yeah. You've got another one to lean on. <laughs> you probably have an acoustic guitar <coughs> one too, and, you know, just creatively blend. <laughs> Either that or, or what I call salt and pepper. I'll, um, I'll feature somebody, say there's two lead breaks, or the song has two or three chorus goes rounds, and they have something at the end where they'll play it out a couple times. You know, a lot of songs are like that. Well, you know, the first time through, okay, the lead guitar player takes his lead break, then it goes back, and we come around again. And the second time, lead guitar player, I let him take his break, but maybe I'll, I'll put some B3 in that's happening. And they got the Leslie whirling, and that kind of sounds cool, and that ad builds the song, adds a little bit of excitement to it. It's, it's going somewhere. It's just not, okay, we start it, and it's all the same, and now it ends. It's, you know, you're going somewhere with it. You're building to a climax. And then as, as the thing plays out, then maybe you kind of do an all-skate where you'll, the guy will be kind of noodling, you bring him back a little bit, you got the B3 going, and then you just kind of look and say, okay, well, what, what else is happening that might be, might be interesting you know, to, to put in there? So you can, you can actually kind of, you're a musician as well back then, you can, you can take that mix and, and kind of ride it. Uh, you can thin it out at certain parts. You know there's going to be a big ending. Let the people breathe a little bit instead of it just being, you know, like that the whole time. At least this is me, my taste. I like to let it breathe a little bit. So let it come down that it's just the acoustic guitar pretty much and, and the worship leader and it's not wailing quite as much. Or let the keyboard, you know, feature the keyboard a little bit. So that's the salt and pepper thing that I, that I like to do rather than it just being that square wave where it starts and everybody's on and then it ends. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, what do you do when you have uh, a keyboard, a uh, piano, and a guitar, and then like five sopranos? That's all your vocals. Okay. And they're singing all the same part? Yeah. And they don't all sing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I take it it's not really this is a sound pleasing yeah. to hear. Right. Not when they're Are they on pitch, or is it the rhythm that's not the same? Uh, every now and then it's some. It's just not the same. Yeah, jeepers, that's where you have a little chat, the worship guy. I, I know how it is. They, they don't want to turn any volunteer away. Um, yeah, if, if, you, if you have, an, if you have an, an outboard effects device, you can soak, soak them down a little bit um, with verb. Uh, you can solo, solo up, you know, your, your singers maybe during a rehearsal, and maybe you already know who it is, but identify the ones who are not quite on it and, and not feature them quite as much. You know, again, just selectively back them off. But yeah, Chuck had a good idea. Sometimes if, if you need, well, I call it homogenize it a little bit. If you just want to sort of put it through the verb and, and swirl it out so that you're not really sure what voice you're hearing, but it's these voices, or just do that to the ones that are, that are not so good. <laughs> um, but yeah, you just got to pick and choose if, if that's the lot that you, the, the hand that you've been dealt, you, you know, you decide. So again, that's happening at the mic. So Dave, I don't know if you want to chime yeah. in how well, no, to I, approach a worship I, leader about that. Actually, there was a church I was working with 
two months ago, and it was the same kind of thing. And I was like, so I went up and I talked to the to the the, the gal singing. And I said, look, it's like I have five yellow Ferraris right now, and yellow Ferraris are amazing, but I need a, a Jeep or two. Can we just we just it's just all it's it's not special anymore. And I I need something different. Can any of you sing harmony? Here's a here's a part. Let's try to sing something different, because otherwise it's just. I just, I'm going to tell the sound guys to turn you down because I, I don't need yeah, it. Usually gets their attention too. <laughs> I love you guys. Yeah, that's good. And it's, I, I liked how you put that. It's more of a positive. It's not that anything's wrong with either one of them. It's just please let's, let's try to get some, uh, some harmony parts going so that it's just not all yellow Ferraris. Yeah, exactly. The selling point there is, you know, everyone on the team, they want, they want, want to be heard, you know, and not saying that like an ego way, you know, project. They want to contribute. They want to be heard. So you sell it, and they're like, "Let's do something little. You do something different here." Is getting even whether it's vocals or guitars, you know, you know, both guitar players they want to be heard. They want their contribution. So if you can, that's where it's okay to be the the vocal or the audible producer and say, "Hey, I'm not hearing." Either one of you that well because you're doing the, playing the same thing. I don't think they're going to be offended, you know. So they actually want to be heard. So if you sell it that way, then I'm not really hearing any of you that well. Why don't you do something a little yeah. different here? I, I think they'll be receptive to it, you know. That everyone's happy. So, but sometimes you will have to. You might have to. <laughs> you, might, you might have to. Uh, you know. Take some of that that time I alluded to earlier, like hanging out with the worship leader and say, "Yeah, exactly." Hey, uh, last three Sundays, so and so is I don't know, you know, whatever the problem might be, they're they're flat vocally, or or they're obviously didn't read the charts and they're like fumbling the bass line, or you know, you might have to have a little private conversation with them, and that's where it's good if you're on good terms with the worship leader, they're your ally, they're your liaison. Sometimes they can handle some of your problems for you. And sometimes it's only appropriate that they handle it, especially if, if it's you know, someone's not obviously not reading the charts or or not focusing on on their, their vocal part. So. Okay, well, EQ was a really big thing, so maybe since we delved into it, does anybody else have any questions or concerns? I, I could use a little advice on the sweeping on the sweeping mid tool. I mean, how you use that green dot? Sure, jump that uh, Sure. Yeah, basically you have, you know, on this console. Can we hear, hear some stuff? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, on the Allen Heath, you have, you have the, for example, the high the high mid sweep goes from 500 hertz um, all the way up to uh, 15,000 hertz, which you typically aren't going to go that far. Uh, and then below it, we have the, the um, attenuator, which is your gain or your boost. Um, basically, if you're not, you know, really sure, you know, there are certain instruments, like, if I, if I want to bring it out, I know exactly, you know, like Dan mentioned, the kick drum. You want to boost 8K and get that click sound. Like, we, through, you know, our experience, you know, we just, you know that. You know, you can... And it might not work on every single kick drum. Every kick drum's different. The ability of people playing or even tuning. Uh, tuning's a big part. Um, um, I know, I don't know if any of you 
It's going way back. A uh, band called Rain Children, back, local band back in the day. Uh, I had the opportunity to work with uh, Kevin Russo, their drummer. He's also drumming with Matt Goss and some other guys. That guy is one of the best drum tuners in, that I've ever run across. And he spends a lot of time, you know, when we were out on the road with Rain Children, we'd kick him out of the room because he'd be constantly taking his toms and banging on him for like an hour. You know, we're like, okay, we need to <laughs> tune the system. You go in this room and tune your drum. But, but we were glad to find him a spot because the payoff was, was incredible. And his drums sound, sound amazing. Um, but, but we know typically on, on most instruments there's certain frequencies that will bring out that instrument. Um, for example, sometimes with a guitar, if you want that kind of uh, sharpened, sometimes you don't, you don't need to boost the volume of the electric, but sometimes I'll boost like 5K just to give it a little edge you know, on the electric, bring it out. I didn't turn it up, I just, I just, you know, accented that frequency and it just brought it out in the mix a little bit. Um, you know, or sometimes on electric, sometimes you need a little more mid-range punch to it. I'll go 500 hertz or 600 hertz, boost that up, give it a little more, more attack. Um, you know, keyboards, often I'll put a little bit of machine, or I'll, I'll boost like 10K or 8K, you know, just to, especially if it's like a string patch, you know, just just add a little polish to it. Um, but this this sweep uh, is very very powerful tool because you have a, a broad range of frequencies there uh, to pick from, and and you, and you also typically I find myself cutting more than I do boosting, but but there always there always are those frequencies you sometimes I just want to boost them just to bring that instrument out. But basically, um, if you're not sure what frequency, just experiment. Make a, make a cut, like say, make a cut of... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, sure. go ahead and sweep one while you're talking. All right, so right now, uh, the EQ is flat. Okay. Uh, I have the sweep at... 3K, 3,000 hertz, and now I'm going to turn it back. About, about minus 7 dB right there, and uh, I'll just go back to zero. You can hear that presence came back in. Now it's gone. Now it's kind of dull, um, and we're just going to sweep this down. Sweeping it down to that's uh, cut at 500, 500 hertz. A lot of the body, of the voice is, is is gone. You're kind of hearing low and and the highs. And now we're going to go back. We're back at uh, 3,000 hertz. We're going to go up. Sweep it up right there. It's about 6k. So you're not really hearing any detail. The voice is very dull because um, we we've taken a big cut there. At about 6k. So you're applying that cut to every frequency as you turn, like to, to a different frequency as you turn it. Yeah, yeah, whichever exactly. frequency. Yep. Let me do it the other way. You keep talking. Um, what are my other eyes? So keep talking once. So okay. like a normal vocal setup, I would I would take the right. the low and, and get rid of that a little bit. One, two, and then just so you can hear it sweeping, 
two, two, one, two. We'll do a cut and I'll just start one, sweeping. Two, two, two. Hey, hey. Now I'm sweeping the frequency one, two, up. Two, two, two. One, two, two, two. See how now, now it really thinned out? Okay. So on, on, vocal, one, two. on vocal mics, well, any, any, actually on any EQ, a good rule of thumb, I think, Chuck, you would agree, is that always think about what's the problem, let's take the problem away. Always talk in terms of taking the problem away. You'll end up having way more gain in the system. If you're thinking first, wow, that's a little dark, don't reach for the high EQ knob and start adding things. First take the problem away. And then once you've done that and you still find you need some more, then go ahead and give it that little tweak. But on, on the sweep, if, if you're not sure where you want to go to, a good tool is to go ahead and take the cut, maybe down 10 dB so you can really hear what you're doing. You may not end up there. And then go ahead and take the sweep and go start sweeping it. Especially if you have like a lob ringing, you want to get rid of some feedback in, in a particular mic, or just totally you're not sure what you're looking for, but you know you want to do something. Go ahead and, and cut it, and then start sweeping it, and all of a sudden you'll get that sweet spot. And go, oh, oh, okay, that's where it is. Maybe you won't need quite so much, so you put some of it back. But that's just how quickly how you can find it. Right. And it's good to use your your rehearsal time, you know, for that kind of thing. Experiment with the vocal mic, whether you're, you know, or just come in on an off time. You get some downtime. There's no rehearsal, no service. Come in and. Just talking to a mic, experiment, or you can just replace some, uh, play some music. It's a little easier with it with an individual with a sole source like a vocal, uh, or, or um, maybe you can just put in a, a recording of you know, you know of, of the sermon or something. And just you can just experiment, hear those changes, and then you can start associating uh, those frequencies with what you're hearing, and you just, it becomes a little more adept. Like. Down, down the road, you'll be like, oh, okay, I think this needs a, a cut, that vocal needs a cut at, at 200 hertz, it sounds a little muddy. So you'll, you know, just, you know, take advantage of any opportunity you have to experiment. Is there a typical thing in the bass, like I know we have bass guitar trouble with that being muddy. Is there, is there typical things that you do with the bass guitar, plug right into the system? Um, yeah, I find that a lot of guys at, on their, their amp, they... We're going right into the system. Direct. Direct, okay. So you don't have that problem. One problem I have is this guy's jacking up the low end on the bass, and it's either not, really not appropriate for the service, and it all depends on what the congregation likes, what, what's acceptable, uh, or it just doesn't sound right. It's just too much low end, or, or they're, they might even be boosting the frequency, like if they have the little graphic on their head, they're boosting like 20 hertz. It's like, well, there are too many systems out there that reproduce that. Yeah. Uh, so, basically, just get hissed. Yeah, and they're, and they're actually, I mean, in my opinion, they're, they're like killing their bass head, too. <laughs> if they're boosting that. And speakers are made, they'll reproduce a certain range. And if, you, um, if you're making it do something that's not meant to reproduce, it's not happening. You know, I, a friend of mine that worked at Claire Brothers in the speaker shop, he said they do experiments and they ran, they had a 12 inch woofer that its range was, I think, 55 hertz, you know, to whatever, it might have gone up to like 3K or something like that. He said when they put a frequency, they were sending tones, they swept the tone down to like 30 hertz, 
he said that speaker looked like it was having a seizure. Like it, it just hated life. So I mean, that's just a good, you know, a lot of people don't understand that and you know, you don't want to make your system do something it's not meant to do. You're also wasting energy. You know, you're running, sending signal, like if you're a you know, bass guitar and he has 20 hertz boosted, you're sending that through the board into the processing and hopefully somewhere something's cutting that out. You know, not, not trying to make your, your PA system actually do that. Hopefully some, there's processing a lot of the newer processors, you know, or your channel strip, if you have a high pass filter. Hopefully somewhere that's being filtered out. Um, as far as bass guitar going direct, um, you know, it all, all depends on your bass player and his, his tone. It starts at the source. You know, if you have great, great tone, that will carry you for miles. I mean, but if you not you don't have good sound at the source, you know, it, it's hard to to fix it at the board. You just do your best to make it natural. On a bass guitar, I often will sometimes I'll take out low mid. We use that sweep, and usually it'll be anywhere from like one fifty to two fifty somewhere in there, and I'll also uh, boost sometimes a mid-range uh, like between 630 630 and 800 hertz I'll boost that a little just get a little mid-range so here's some actual tone and the bass guitar isn't just a dull thud in the system um, that's one of the things that drives me nuts when I go see a concert or you know the bass it's just a dull thud there's no you know real tone it is a musical instrument so it's you know that's how it sounded like it um, uh, another frequency trick sometimes in the bass guitar is boosting 2k uh, but again like Dan said go find the prop find out what doesn't need to be there and take that out first then go back and if it still needs a little bit of help to bring it out in the mix then you know boost boost the, some of those frequencies but usually in the bass it's a mid-range you know 630 800 or sometimes 2k uh, that's where the sweep will you know, uh, the two sweeps is nice. And some of you, if I have consoles, that you have all four bands are sweepable, which is really, really great. So at your pace, do you have some sweep? Well, yeah, we have at least three. Uh, we'll get one, too. Yeah, we have a couple. So without without hearing it, I'll just go out on a limb. My, my standard, you know, what I would say, like Chuck said, you get rid of some of those uh, low mids. It's just kind of muddy. You, you, you want them to feel the bass a little bit, but you also want them to be able to hear it. So we're using the kick drum kind of trick again that you wouldn't think you would boost, you know, 2K or maybe even 5 or 8K a little bit, depending on where they're playing and what style. Um, but that helps get some articulation, you know, going for you. Uh, do you have any compressors available in your system? Okay. That's another box that sometimes will help uh, a, a, a dynamic box that will help put what we say put that instrument in its box. Uh, what a compressor does basically is it you, you set a particular threshold and that if the sound gets above that threshold according to the ratio you set it actually turns it down so it'd be like your finger being on that fader but being able to react in a few milliseconds to things so as the bass player plays if you have that compressing it or, or keeping the level at a certain level then when he's playing softly, everything's fine, but if he really digs into it, it'll it'll just keep it right there in in the mix and it, it won't it won't get too loud. So that's another trick sometimes you can use. Yeah, some compressors. Uh, what, what are 
person, good instruments besides a bass that you should be utilizing? Keyboards use compressors, or I tip. I personally typically don't, and unless somebody's just so out of out of control with their their patches, where I, I can't keep up with it. If every song has a different patch and the guy's not listen to my request to go ahead and make the volume, you know, even across the board, I'll put a comp on it just so I don't have to try to remember what song's loud and what song's not. Uh, vocals, a lot of times, especially if you have a, a larger group of people um, on on a more budget board or a, where you don't have the ability to put a compressor on every vocal mic, sometimes you can go ahead and run them through a subgroup and then compress the whole thing to just kind of, again, put them in the box. And I would use, I would say use compressors sparingly because it, 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 it's, a, it's, a, it's a double-edged sword. It's a very powerful tool. Sometimes you go into these systems, uh, you know, when you walk in as a guest engineer, just everything sounds anemic. Um, you can't figure out what in the world, what's the matter. So the first thing I do is start hitting bypass on everything. And let's just get back to what the system ought to sound like. And a lot of times you'll find out they're just compressing the snot out of, you know, everything because it's safe. You know, sometimes uh, install companies um, don't want to get trouble calls. They don't want to hear about feedback, so they have the thing so safe, so dumbed down that it just doesn't really even sound good. But it's never going to go into feedback in the valley. But um, blow yeah, you'll never blow anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I did a little consult at a good-sized Methodist church in, in York a few years ago, and you know, they said, "Can you can you come in?" And it was actually a surgeon who worked on my knee as their worship leader. Believe it or not, that's how we met. So God works in mysterious ways. Because um, he asked me, "Well, how did you how did you tear your knee?" And I said, "Well, I was bending down doing something in a rack." And immediately he goes. Oh, you mess with sound? We could do something. Anyway, I, I go in, and it's just like Chuck said. The monitor amp was was just like just cracked, maybe an eighth of the way open. So no matter how much you sent from the board, there was no way it would ever go in the feedback. But the singers couldn't couldn't hear a thing, you know. So I turned it up like halfway, and then said, "Okay, now you know it'll feedback if you go this loud." But they go, "Oh wow!" But it was that simple. So. Again, with compressors, just use them sparingly. But if you have the ability to, to use one or maybe get one in the future, that's a tool that can help manage uh, volume levels that are kind of all over the place. You know, that's that gets it there, so you don't have to be making major changes at the board. Typically, as far as using compressors, like in concerts, I typically snare. Bass, guitar, vocals. Yeah, I try to limit it to that. I don't want to, you know. Yeah, but it all depends on, like I said. Yeah, if the ratio of setup, maybe it's real gentle. I don't know. Yeah, if there are two to one or something. If their patches are out of control or inconsistent, you know, then, you know, you know, maybe you want that compressor there as a safety, you know, just to protect, you know, Sparrow if they're a if they have any patches and they're pounding, you stabbing the keyboard, you know, you know that yeah, it can be damaging to your system. So, um, yeah, typically for a band like snare, bass, guitar, vocals, um, I love using compressor on like uh, pastor's mic, especially if it's like a countryman E6 or um, 
Explorer Lab. Uh, it just I use it more creatively. It just helps smooth some of your teaks out. Actually, can help you get often helps you get more level out of it before feedback. Uh, it's, been, it's it's keeping that uh, that signal under control. You know, and I usually dig into it pretty hard with with uh, you know, where I, whereas on, on most instruments you just want it there to take take the edge off. Like I'll I'll dig in like minus six minus eight dB sometimes just just to keep it just to keep it under wraps. Um, and you know, unless it's it's dulling the if it's squashing, you don't want it squashing it so hard that it, it's all like mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know. Out then you've, <laughs> you've gone too far the other way, but. Um, but that's another, just sometimes you use it creatively on bass guitar, sometimes I'll use it to shape the sound, but you have to be careful when you're using your compressors, especially if you're running monitors off the same console, you know, you don't want to start getting too crazy with the use of the compressor that you're affecting the monitor mix, uh, depending on how your board's set up. What uh, threshold do you usually kind of start at as like a baseline? Well, I mean, it would start... Uh, I mean, if you have your, your gain on the console, you know, it's coming in at a, at a good level, um, you know, start start at zero. Right. And roll it up. And start rolling it, you know, towards like minus 10, you know. Uh, you shouldn't have to go back too far. Unless, you know, sometimes on the, on the lapel mic or E6, you'll have to bring that threshold back pretty far. Um, but, yeah, start at zero and start with a mild, you know, ratio of, Two to one, and go go from there. So, uh, anything else? More questions? Yes. Um, just in general, what frequencies do individual instruments run? Like, just like what is the frequency range? Of like that they play. Like, what's the piano grade frequency level? Um, I mean, for for vocals. Typically, I mean, really, I, I can often deal deal with like vocals. Like, I really don't need anything below 150 hertz on a vocal. So, a vocal be like 150, you know, to the upper <coughs> range of your system. Um, but mo I mean, mo most instruments, you know, they're they're living, you know, below below 16,000 hertz and down to like, you know, some of your, your drums and bass, are, they definitely going to want to occupy the, the lower uh, ranges, like, you know, as, that, as low as 50 hertz, possibly for like kick drum, bass guitar. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they're all, they're all over the map, but they also, they overlap, like we talked about earlier, they overlap a lot, and that's where you have to kind of, it's like, okay, take away what's not needed for this instrument, and maybe boost some of this. Just try to get them to fit together so you can hear all of them in, in the mix. And, and there's there's uh, charts online. Just Google yeah. that. There are charts out there that will give you your up on the key frequency ranges for you know certain instruments, whether it be a guitar, acoustic guitar, electric guitar, brass, uh, vocals. Um, you know, th those are very helpful. And you know, I was. I, that's where I, I think I found one, one of the trade magazines years ago, you know, I was reading, and I, and I really uh, think it's beneficial. If you have any, you can get your hands on any of the trade magazines out there, uh, whether it be Mix, uh, Live Sound International, 
uh, FOH magazine. I mean, there's all kinds of magazines out there. A lot of them you can you can actually get for free. Um, if you, sign, you can go online and sign up for it, get the digital version or you can get the paper version for free. Um, I, I've, I've learned a lot over the years, you know, and I still read them. You know, it's you're, you're always learning. There's always, you know, I, I don't think there's any job that that I do or magazine pickup where I don't learn some new trick or or something that 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 benefits me. And I and I've been doing sound since 1994, um, as I was when I started, you know, as a part-time uh, engineer. And there, there's always something to learn. And you know, occasionally you run into guys that do think they know, know it all, but uh, but really, I mean, that, and that's key too. And in, in, in growing as as a technician at your church, is just always seize the opportunity to learn something new. Pick up the magazines, read what you can. There's online forums. You can go on online chat rooms, uh, Pro Sound Web. Uh, if you're having a problem, you can type out your question there, and, and chances are someone's gonna gonna come back and give you some advice. Uh, chances are half a dozen guys are probably going to respond and give you give you an answer to your question, and you know, and and they, they all might be right. They all might have different solutions. And you just try that and see what works for you. Um, but yeah, I really encourage you to uh, pick up pick up some of the magazines that are out there and go online, and um, you know, it can be a valuable resource, regardless of what level you're at as a technician. <coughs> Um, we were at Amiums, I just have a direct out, direct out rating or whatever. I heard you, one of you say something about running it through auxiliary. Yes. Is that a better way to do it? Well, that's a, that's an option. Uh, a lot of people, if obviously most guys won't have 16 spare auxiliaries. Some yeah. of us have that option, but some of you don't. But where that can be really handy is you, you put your, your basic every week things on the avion. Uh, an example would be maybe kick snare and a, a mix of everything else of the drum. So that could be one auxiliary uh, if, if you want to have that dialed out. Then uh, maybe the, the vocal team, you would put that on another aux set. That would just be all the vocals um, would, would be there. Then every other instrument as it changes through the week would have its own direct thing, but obviously if you have five or six vocalists, um, maybe you don't want to use up all those avion sends, you know, for just all those vocals because you have other instruments that it's important for them to be able to hear. Um, another thing I wanted to mention about avions too is um, musicians really feel isolated from the crowd when they go from a live situation where they hear the PA and they hear monitors to avions. So what we do in, in the field is put up an uh, audience mic, uh, one or two, dial that on. Usually we put it on 16, it's way down at the end, that's ambience or audience. And that gives them the ability to, to dial up um, the house, you know, so they can feel like if, if, if there's congregational singing, they can hear that. Um, it, it just keeps them from feeling so isolated. Uh, another another thing that we do on the on the avion sometimes for uh, the singers especially to make them feel more comfortable is go ahead and put a reverb send uh, return onto that so they've got verb so if they are feeling 
a little insecure. If anybody's ever, you know, you sung on a mic, put it on a set of cans and, and sing without it and then start dialing it up, it just makes you feel better about yourself. Um, you know, anybody that's recorded at a studio knows that. If you get a sweet verb one or some kind of a tap delay, you suddenly feel very inspired to, you know, to sing. So, um, again, depending upon your equipment and, and how much versatility you have, that would be another way to do it. So. Um, yeah, Avion Direct for things that are always the same, and then keep a couple of sends if you have them available. Uh, that can be programmed. Basically, you're programmable then. You know, every week, this week it's this. Next week it might be something else. Uh, you have a string section or a horn section occasionally, or you know things that aren't every week that'll give you the flexibility to decide. Ended up putting all of our drums on the channel. Okay. And we had all the instrumentals kind of agree on, you know, a, a mix. mix for the drums. And right, okay. as much, you know. Yeah, that's, everybody's different. It just depends on, uh, it, it sort of becomes a hierarchy of what's the most important. You know, you kind of work your way down. Yeah. What's the best way to mic the house? Um, we, we do it a couple of different ways. Uh, at, at my church, they have two little AT mics hanging about halfway out. Uh, typically in the field, we just put uh, two mics at the edge of the stage, left and right, you know, and just have it pointing out that way. Typically, <coughs> we use condenser mics because you, you get a little wider frequency response. Um, so it's, I don't know that there's really any wrong or right way. That, uh, there's no huge science to it. Just move it around until you kind of get the sound that you want. <laughs> Try to keep it away. Obviously, you wouldn't aim it at the main PA speakers. You know, try to get it <laughs> where the where the uh, the people are, so they can hear the room. While we were on Avion and monitoring, uh, any other questions, kind of along that that vein? Just curious, how many churches in here use the Avion? I mean, we we don't use it. That's new to me. Yeah. Price range on that. Check the dress, uh, <laughs> know you know. Price range. Uh, the mixers are about six, six hundred. Uh, the main unit. Well, there's two different main units you can get. The one is, I think, about twelve hundred. The other unit's about twenty six hundred. How do you get? How do you get it from there to the front? That's what I'm trying to understand. So they can pick each channel. You're there, saying I got to run a feed from the from the board front. For yeah, you there's there's a rack mount device that basically you take the direct direct out on your your channels and or or the auxiliary sound like we talked about sub mixing a, a group of whether it be like a brass ensemble or percussion. Uh, it uses a this particular version uses a quarter inch cable goes out of the direct out into this unit and then it sends it to the stage via a Cat5 cable. So it's digital. Yeah, yeah, yeah digitized. Yeah. Cat5 yeah, cable. Uh, at the stage end, you can you can daisy chain the mixers together with Cat5 cables, okay. uh, or they also make a, a hub, basically looks like a router, um, that you can have all of the, the uh, power adapters plugged in there, and then it, you run up to eight Cat5 cables to each individual mixer, and it transmits the power via the cat yeah, five. So if you can hold off, I would recommend that so you don't have wall warts all over your stage. 
you know, powering each mixer. If, if you buy the more expensive head, the power for each little guy's mixer is on that Cat 5. Yeah, it just cleans up your stage. It is more expensive, but it's worth waiting for, really. Yeah, the, the Avion's a great, great tool. It really frees up uh, the engineer, and Jeff can probably attest to yeah. he's, he's a happier Basically man. Basically, you have your own cooking <laughs> up there on the stage. I mean, in the uh, case of well, Lancaster Church of the Brethren, uh, Jeff, you're, you're the only sound tech, or are you? Pretty much. We have a few other, but not. Yeah. Yeah, every time I, I've gone in there, it's you. <laughs> so he's pretty, he's pretty much take, takes the bulk of the mixing responsibilities. So now that the band has Aviums and they take, pretty much take care of their own monitors, that really frees him up to focus on the house, the house mix. And after you have that system, can you still use a wedge? Do you use a, a stand speaker? Do you use heads? What, what's the best way to go to that? Uh, typically with the Avion, the greatest benefit is to use the earbuds. Now, you can still use monitors uh, if you'd like, uh, like a monitor or speaker. Um, at, at Keystone, um, where, where I worship, we have the band is on Avions. The background vocalist, they do have a, a monitor wedge in front of them and the worship leader has a monitor wedge in front of him. Uh, ba basically, um, the reason that is they're, they're all wireless mics, and the Avion, you know, unless you spend even more money uh, on, on hooking up an Avion to a wireless transmitter, you know, they, they, they would be tethered. So, so, they, so you, can, you can do a blend. That, that's fine. Right. We, we went from seven monitor wedges on stage in a small building, which was ridiculous to two monitor wedges and the, the improvement you know is amazing. I'm just concerned getting everyone with their own mix, how much noise is gonna be coming up front I'm gonna have no chance in a little house. Yeah, I, I would recommend that the instrumentalists be be on ears. Yeah. You know, but um, and then like you said the singers I have been in some situations where it was mixed, they'll have a wedge or two for the, for the singers and one Avion box, and they have to agree amongst themselves. And the output of that box, which is just a quarter-inch out, can hit a power wedge or an amp that would feed the wedge. So again, they can they can mix themselves. And generally, it doesn't bite you because it's almost always way heavy vocal, you know, maybe a little bit of keys and, and the worship leader and really guitar so they can get pitch and rhythm. Okay. So normally it works out you know, pretty good. Yeah. Two questions. One, talking about avenues, I, I noticed in some of the magazines, Roland's come out with a, a competitive product. Mm -hmm. um, and what, I mean, I've made my investment now, so it's no way I'm going to even consider changing, but maybe for some of you that haven't. I don't know if you guys have any idea on the price point. I know one feature I saw, they haven't hit. Yeah, I was, I was actually disappointed because I was hoping they would be competitive on a price point, and it's not. I think the mixers are... The mixers are over a thousand. Okay. I noticed like they had an onboard mic on the mixer, so you didn't have to have house mics then or anything like that. Oh, for ambience, yeah. Um, which I thought was kind of cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it does look like a cool product. It looks like more of a, a beefier. I think it has like actually has a metal chassis where the Avion is more plastic. Uh, it, it looks it looks like a very cool piece of equipment, but I've, I've been waiting for someone to compete with Avion on the price point because. A few years ago, Avion, actually it was probably only a couple of years ago, Avion 
jacked their price up, I think, three times in about a two-year span. And what are you going to do? They're the only ones out there that really have that. All the other products out there are either more expensive or they're less channels. Less, less channels, like eight channels. You know, which you can't really do a whole lot with that. You end up mixing a, submixing a ton of things. Um, but yeah, the, the Avion, um, there's really no one out there that's competing with them on the, on the price. The, the roll-in product's a lot more expensive. Um, I forget, there was a MyMix, have you heard of that? Mm -hmm. There's a MyMix product, but I'm not, I haven't seen it out there too much. I don't I know, know if I saw it here. I think it was back. That might have went away, I don't know. That was eight channels. Yeah, yeah but but that's the thing. It's only eight channels. Like all yeah. Yeah. Right. The one thing I'd mention, too, is the holdout for the better earbuds. Um, the, the Walkman kind of stuff that comes with your iPod or like that. You need you need to have complete isolation as much as possible. Um, so if, if it's not a good seal, uh, people tend to turn it up louder than it needs to be and can actually start to damage their, their hearing, and they're not going to get the full frequency response either because if it's not sealed tight, you won't get the bottom end. They'll start to sound thin. Um, so, you know, make, make sure that they, they hold out, that they're not, I mean, I know most churches um, would, would not buy custom molds for their musicians, you know, it would be beyond the scope of, of their budget to spend 500 bucks on each musician to get custom molds, but there's, there's some good choices, there's a wide range in between that, that have softer earpieces that will, that will mold, you know, to, to your ear. Yeah, the cheap earbuds can actually be a discouragement to the musicians, and you know, then then they don't want to use the Avion because they think they think it doesn't sound good. And it's not the Avion; it's the cheap earbuds that you know, they bought off the shelf at a store, or or even even the lower level Shure buds are really aren't that great. Right. Um, that was one of the mistakes at at our at our church that didn't just kind of hit a wall with the budget and got them the low level. Earbuds, and, and now some of the guys they don't want to shy away from using it, you know, or they only got one one earbud in and one out. Yeah, that's, that's another real danger. People want to pop an ear, and you see a lot of performers do it because they're not getting enough ambience. They feel like they're not connected, or they want to they want to hear the drum kit or whatever the stage is, and they all do it. I know Dave probably doesn't. No, never. But it's it's really bad for your hearing. <laughs> It's really bad for your hearing. Yeah. Is is there a um, sometimes I've heard a complaint that they can't turn up their um, their their sound in their headphones up? Is if you have the gain down on their channel, does that affect their ability? That affects their ability to get themselves in the headphones. So if you have the gain way down, sometimes a musician might not be able to turn himself up loud enough. <coughs> yeah. There's also a depending on which headphone system you have on, on the. The lower price unit, there's like a selector switch for the gain level. Uh, you you want to set that so you're getting a nice strong sig signal on the Avion unit. Because if, it, if it's not strong there, they might be turning their volume all the way up on that channel and they can't, still can't get it. A lot of it, this comes back to the whole, you know, <coughs> game structure is important on the console, it's also important on that Avion unit. So, and I've found you can pretty much have that coming through there in the Avion unit pretty hot. As long as it's not, you know, solid red. Full red on, yeah. Yeah, you might get an occasional flash. occasional flash of red. That that's okay. They're not it won't clip. They're not gonna hear that distortion. 
because yeah, I know at different times I, I turned down the gain a little bit because it was it was coming through real hot on that on that channel, right. and then oh, they, they complained that, that that's that's the only catch about that yeah. is you yeah. to adjust that gain to yeah. make it right for you in the house, but then it'll drop away. Unfortunately, <laughs> the only way around that is is to have another you know monitor desk on on a split. Well, they don't. I mean, turn off the main mix on the avion, then you have to turn everything else back. In. Right. But when you when you do make a change like that, then it, and then it comes to gain structure, how he has his mix um, built. What I suggest to him a lot of times when they keep asking, especially if you're mixing monitors on a monitor desk where each individual gets their own mix and you're the guy mixing it. If someone asks two or three times, I need more, I need more, I start saying, okay, what can we turn down, you know, in, in your mix, get that turned down and then turn the overall volume you know, back up. So it has to do with gain structure a lot of times. And and to his defense, that, that musician, if he's got it it built for the structure it was and then suddenly you dip his his one, he's gonna have to go through and redial everything else down and then turn the master right. up. But that's the way around it. If your operational level has to be lower because it's clipping then then you know you just kinda start again and rebuild it. Yeah. You had a question back there? Yeah, well I just Address camp, but I, I maybe this could be tossed out figure as a whole. When I got my admin system, I actually got a great deal shortly after on the Shure SCL4 earbuds, uh -huh. and I can't find anything like it since then. Uh, but I need to get another pair of buds for a new drummer. Um, any recommendations on something that you know anybody's using that they they like gives you a, a decent range. I don't know. Shore's rebranded. They keep right. rebranding their yeah. Their they can't keep up with the numbers you know, anymore. Yeah, it used to be like they used to be the good old E2 and the yeah. E5, E5 was, was the dual driver back in the day. Now it's like SCL this and yeah, those are even gone. Yeah, since I did that a couple years ago. Now they've got a dual driver. I just saw in one of the trades. It's around three hundred bucks. So I don't know if that would okay. be out of the range, but they, they have something that is a dual driver um, with, it, it, it doesn't take the foamies, it actually has a sort of a silicone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know uh, there's a uh, company, who was, I don't know if they still make it, but I know M-Audio uh, was making a dual driver that I think was about 250 or something mm -hmm. like that. Uh, and there, there might be a couple others out there too, but Usually the dual driver, with a few exceptions, you're you're probably going to talk probably talking four or five hundred bucks. You know. Although just just Google it. There's a, there's a little college industry that's kind of sprung up. Uh, a lot of guys that used to work for Ultimate Ear or Future Sonics, some of the big for sure the, the the big guys have branched out on their own and they're working out of the garage, um, especially in the Nashville area. And I don't know them offhand, but they're they're making some pretty nice. Dual driver units at a at a at a reasonable cost. Um, a lot of new upstart bands are getting endorsements from these guys because they get their ears cheap, you know, that way. But they seem pretty happy with them. Yeah, what West Tone is West Tone company you know. that makes uh, more affordable in ears. Sense of finding, I think, was the other one. Yeah. Quick question: When um, we don't own anything right now, anything we own is the avions, so we don't have any sound. When building a new system, where do you spend your money? 
Well, I, I would come back to the acoustics. I mean, I think Chuck and I both agree on that. But that's that's something that you can't change very cost effectively after the fact. So you get that as good as it can get when you start. Um, Chuck and I may have different views. I don't know. I, I typically, on a first install, go with the biggest items that would be the hardest to change after the fact and put your money into that. So for instance, instead of buying a Mac Daddy mixing console that you could never imagine will use all 96 channels ever, um, spend the money on, on the main PA and good amps that, that will last you for a long, long time, you know, um, and, and then kind of work your way down the, the pecking order. Uh, don't buy cheap mics because you, you'll, you'll hate yourself later. So, you, you know, even if you just have to have less to start with, if you can, get, you know, good, good transducers, good microphones, good DIs. Um, don't skip on cable. Buy good cable, you know, not the cheapest thing that you can find. Um, and then as you work your way back, then the front of house desk over the years can can evolve and maybe that desk becomes the youth room desk or the portable system desk for you know another room as your building expands. So buy I, I like to tell people to buy things in mind that you can use it. it it's not going to get thrown away. You can it's still a good enough quality to use down the road maybe in a different setting. Um, and, and then as your band increases or you need more gear back there then you then you step up. Chuck, would you speak into that as well? Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, it depends on the, the amplification, you know, the speakers, you know, and also that, and that's not going to be something that you'd easily change, you know, because you're going to have to bring it, it's going to be hanging somewhere and routing wire up there, and you know, it's not something you want to change in, in three to five years. You're hoping that's going to carry you, you know, hopefully 10, you know. Um, Whereas other items, they're just not going to last that long. You can easily replace, you know, your console. You can keep pumping that down, passing that down, down the, down the chain in the family right, at the right. church. Yeah, the food chain. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this cabinets, speaker cabinets, uh, amplification, um, processing. Most systems being installed now use digital processor routing, routing all the signal to your main speakers, which which now is, is often more than just a left and right or center cluster. There's front fills, there's delays, there's, you're trying to improve the quality of the service to every seat in the house. You know, it's very hard to do that with just one or two feet. So uh, digital processing is a big help and that also protects your system. A lot of the digital processors have limiting and uh, all kinds of stuff just to protect the system itself. So. Um, but, but even then, the processors are interchangeable too. If something better comes out, you can easily, usually it's one or two rack space, you can take that out, put it, something else in the rack. But the, the cabinets and the amps are the key. Because you, you could have, a, you could have a, a Midas Heritage console, but if it's going through um, Behringer amplifiers, and, sorry, it's not going to sound that right. <laughs> great. Right. Yeah, you know, or the weakest link kind yeah. of thing. I would mention to discuss early on with your general contractor, if, if you're going to build, um, is get the electrical guy, the HVAC guy in line. Power is, is a big boogaboo uh, in a lot of places. You want to make sure that you have an isolated tech power grid 
put in. Uh, sometimes uh, you'll actually put an ISO transformer at your mains coming in and your church is wired. If you've ever been in buildings, sometimes you see these orange receptacles. That's tech power. So anything that has to do with the sound system of video um, is separate, isolated grounds from, uh, from lighting, from dimmer racks, from HCAB, anything else that can introduce hum or buzz you know, onto your system. So that's the time to do it and talk about your electrical grid. It's really not that big of an expense. It's just a planning thing for, uh, for the elect electrical contractor. And then secondly, run conduit from your front of house position to the stage, probably four times bigger than you think <laughs> you're ever gonna use or make several runs and, and, and have a snake guy string broke through for you so that you can have some cools um, if, if you get a facility that you're going to think you're going to expand into, you're going to always want to have more lines. If you start doing concert series and maybe somebody rolls up <coughs> a console, if you've got a nice conduit snake pool for them that they don't have to run it up your, your aisle and gaff tape it down, you know, they're going to love you. So, again, that's an easy thing before they pour the concrete. Put, some, put a couple of four-inch conduit runs in that you can pull stuff back and forth you know, easily for future expansion, because that's, that's the time to do it. Yeah, it's, it's not fun pulling wire through a two-inch time that's already cranked. Already cranked through, yeah. <laughs> we, we deal with that quite a bit. <laughs> yes? Digital snakes. Snake for a lot of digital consoles, it consists of four coax 
and only two are actually used. The other two are, are redundant for backup. Uh, and and it's, it's really nice. I mean, you're not you're just running that, and it's pretty, uh, pretty durable and easily replaceable in the field, uh, as, as would Cat5 be. But Cat5, um, usually when you're running the snake through Cat5, they're using what's called EtherCon, which is it's actually in a heavy jacketing like a microphone cable and has an actual jack that looks like a microphone connector on it, but it's, it's Ethernet, it's Cat5 inside. Um, but you also, it, it's, it's something that easily you get run over by a forklift if you're, you know. Yeah, and again, this is live. Our experience is live. Yeah, our experience is mostly live. Or someone roll, rolls a case over it or, you know, it, not in a church environment, it would be in a, in a conduit. But yeah, analog is, is nice because it always works unless it's been cut. <laughs> So uh, I've, I've had problems. Actually, a couple months ago, I installed an analog <coughs> snake in a facility that was having major problems and repeated problems with their digital snake. Ripped the whole thing out, put in an analog snake. Yeah, that was my experience as well. That's the really uh, truth. Uh, at some at some point, I imagine they'll they'll you know perfect it or make it more reliable. But it's it, you know. We're in situations where stuff has to work. When it loads in at eight o'clock in the morning, it's got to work as soon as it's turned on. So, you know, it, you have a, might have a little more flexibility in a church environment where it's installed one time and you're not repeatedly taking it out, putting it back in the building. But, but uh, and there's lots of products out there. Roland seems to make some nice systems that. Um, um, We'll interface you know, with analog consoles, and you know, but and then there's there's uh, all these gremlins in the digital realm. It seems yeah, like, Digico and Avid are the kind of the two big ones out there on tour now. That they are, yeah. they they come with their own digital snake system, if you will. And basically, what it's doing is remoting the mic pre's, you know, up on stage, and then everything plugs into that, and then goes back and. and you're just controlling the game through a data, a data stream back to to the box. In, in new building, is it DD metal conduit for electrical shielding, or is DDC conduit good enough just for mechanical shielding of the cable? Uh, I mean, it all depends on your local codes. Typically, I what I see is PVC. Even for low voltage stuff. You get rid of that little blue smurf to yourself when we need to understand why. But for a big main road, you get the metal in. Through, through the floor, under the floor, though, can that be PVC? If you're under the concrete, yes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. If you're in the ceiling of, say, like a, a basement, though. Yeah, right. Metal. Yeah. And getting back to the digital snakes, like the, the companies like Digico and Avid, they're that are designing their consoles to be used with their own digital snake. They're they're, gonna, they're a little more diligent. It's it's designed for their system. So that kind of thing, situation, I wouldn't have a problem using that system. It's they designed it. It's designed to work with their console, and then they want it to work. So they're you know when you're using another secondary brand or aftermarket, that's when if you have problems, it can be a real headache. You know because they might start. You have a problem with the snake, and they're like, 
well, what kind of console are you using? They'll try to turn it around. Yeah, and wave it's a lot of finger pointing. You know, now, hopefully not. Hopefully they would have good service, but some, I've experienced that where vendor uh, sold an amplifier, blamed the problem on a digital processor, and I think the main problem was the digital processor was, was not something that they sold the client, and the amplifier was something they sold the client. So. Any one final burning question? Because we are out of time. I was going to ask him to cut off, but you give me a rule of thumb on cost per seat for installing an audio system. What about, we talked a lot about acoustics, the consultation involved in making sure your contractor designs things appropriately. Is there a rule of thumb? How much you're probably going to need to spend to make sure you know, Scott Church, we're talking about putting up a building. It's going to be an engineered steel building, probably, you know, dressed up to make it look nice. But the bottom line is it's going to be a, a square box. What do we do to make sure that we don't uh, make an I don't have any formulas that I've come across as far as like a dollar per seat. I don't either. Um, in, in this area in Pennsylvania, there's a lot of really smart people contractor-wise, I found, you know, that you can tap into using soft goods, um, everything from velour to, you know, the, the parachute pillow kind of thing that Chuck talked about, you know, for your ceiling. Um, do something that's uh, about a two-foot circumference tube, cut in half, put it in the corners. Uh, it's, it's a down-and-dirty base trap uh, covered in carpet. There's uh, acoustic engineers that'll come in and they'll do a great job for you and they'll, and they'll charge you a lot of money. So um, there's just some basic rule of thumbs that if, if honestly, if, if, if you Google some things, um, you can probably get 60% there without spending very much money at all. It's just all about making that room as dead as you can. Uh, you know, carpet on the floor, uh, padded seats, make sure the speakers are aimed at the people, and just cut down on as many reflective surfaces uh, you know, as you can. Oh, one other thing on new building before I forget, this is so important. Um, it's not so much for acoustics as it is for the band. You were talking about the proscenium and having more of a theater setting. Please, 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 if you can all do it, build in a backstage storage space. If any, the size of your stage, once again, if you can, it'll just save you so many headaches um, for, for storing backline. Uh, if, if you ever envision doing any kind of a concert series, um, maybe have the electrician, if it's a big enough building, put in a, another 200 amp three phase, just sitting back there for when the tour guides come in and they can tie in their lighting rig. And I, I know maybe right now that's way beyond the scope of where you're at, but. <laughs> But there are churches that, you know, that that finally get to that size, and if you do it at that time. But the space thing, you know, just always helps. You always need more space. Yeah, that's, that's the biggest thing. Like having with us being out on the road, you know, we do a lot of tour with a lot of, of Christian acts. You know, we, we go into a lot of these churches, and it's so great when you go into a church that has a loading dock, mm. roll up door, and there's plenty of space. You know, they were able to move all of their normal stuff out of the way. 
so you can roll your equipment in and set up. And, and it's just, and also, it's not just for the convenience of visitors coming in or guests, but it, it's just you have a lot of space. You can do so many versatility. Yeah. yeah, you can, you know, do a if you do a big Christmas play, you can get plenty of room, you know, to construct set pieces and things like that. And it, it's just you might not think you need it now, but uh, you just got it's always a possibility. You know, you might you might be, you know, doing things you never thought you'd be doing five, ten years from now. It's all driven by program, and if you look at your church's programs now, it's so different than even 20, 30 years ago. Uh, some of the things that the worship leaders are being asked to, to pull off, and then by default, the sound guy. So, well, thanks for coming out, guys. It's been great. Yeah, here, um, DC Talk, or Newsboys, I think, is coming to Villa Chapel this fall. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> Um, yeah, thanks so much, guys, for coming out. Just a couple of things to close this up. Um, would you be interested in doing this again this year or next year, something like this? Yes, no? Yeah. Yeah? How about I get... Yeah! You guys don't like moving your arms at all? You're like, yeah! I'm not moving. That's good. All right. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of our... One of our, the heart of what we're doing is is to give resources to you guys, but also to, to kind of get you connected. So, um, if anybody wants to either maybe get pizza afterwards and just kind of stay and talk, we can do that. I, I, I could go somewhere, but that's a little tricky. But um, if if is it, would anybody like to like maybe order pizza? Just kind of I don't know if we, is there a fellowship hall we can hang out in? And, yeah. Hang on, Sarah's just just keep talking to each other because because you guys are all you know everybody has different experiences and have you know you, you've tried different things and you guys are a resource to each other. So um, if you would want to do that, we would we'll, we'll be glad to help facilitate that. So I'll close with just a commissioning to you guys, um, and I want to I want to if you don't already know this, you guys are all linchpins. Now I know there's a, a really popular book out there right now about lin- being linchpins, but but linchpin is basically this. It's a central cohesive source of support and stability. And as texts at your churches, you are a central cohesive source of support and stability. Um, you know, just from, from a guy who's usually on that side of the, of, of the stage, um, nothing sets you at ease like somebody who's just, you know they're, they're on your team, you know, and, and you're, you're working together. Um, so let me just, I'll just pray over you that... Um, God, I just ask that you would, um, at each place, at each uh, church that's represented here, um, God, that as these, as these linchpins, as these supports, as these cores of, uh, of support and stability at, at their churches, as they serve, as they give out, I, just, I ask you, Lord, for, for wisdom. I ask you, oh Lord, for unity uh, among their teams. Um, I just I bless them with with provision to do to do what's necessary, um, and I just I ask you that um, um, that you will strengthen their own um, abilities. That you will strengthen their that that they that they will be um, able to hear things that they couldn't even hear before. They'll in moments where they're troubleshooting that you will give them even uh, wisdom and knowledge to, to to look look for the right thing. Um, I thank you that you care enough and that you're connected to us enough that you actually do that. 
You actually speak to us on how to fix a buzz. Um, so, Lord, I just I, I bless them um, today um, and ask you for safe safety as they return home. Um, thank you for bringing us here. And, God, thanks for, for, for Chuck and Dan and, and for their lives and investing it into our lives. So we, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Lanco Worship Link Training. Join us each month as we get together to inspire, connect, and equip local worship teams. Find out when the next event is at lancoworshiplink.blogspot.com. And as always, stay linked.